1: So, what's
0: trending? Bridging your Catholic faith with your everyday life. You're listening to Trending with Timmery on Relevant Radio.
2: Hello, hello. Happy New Year. Welcome to the program. My name is Brooke Taylor in for Timmery. It's good to be back with you. I'm pleased to be one of the guest hosts filling in during Timmery's maternity leave. Such a blessed reason to be here. And for those of you who follow her on social media, you may have already seen that her sweet baby is here. Another daughter joining mom and dad and big sister. She was born on December 28th, the Feast of the Holy Innocents. But in the last few days, there was a development with the baby, concern about her oxygen, so your prayers are certainly powerful, so appreciated for that intention, and thankfully, the most recent update that I saw was very encouraging as of just this afternoon, that the baby is much better. It sounds like mom is getting some sleep, so we will keep you updated, and again, your prayers are so appreciated and, and very felt. In the meantime, we are here. Is a full show on today's program. Dr. Kevin Vost will be here. He is the author of 20 books, including Memorize the Faith and How to Think Like Aquinas. He is also a member of the Research Review Committee for the American Mensa Society, which promotes the scientific study of human intelligence. And his latest book is called You Are That Temple, A Catholic Guide to Health and Holiness. So we will look at getting healthy from the perspective of faith, but also neuroscience. So it's a dynamic duo there. And also Catholic journalist Bree Dale will be joining us from Rome to take us into the events at the Vatican this week, of course the passing of Pope Benedict XVI. His lying in state, the funeral on Thursday. And just today, the release of his spiritual will. And so we're going to explore that. Just look at the text, and she will get us up to speed on the latest. On Friday, the USCCB released Guidance for Mourning and How the Faithful May Pray for the Former Pontiff. And I want to link that document in today's show and if you actually read the memo, it's it's really quite beautiful, but I wanted to share just a few of the highlights. And this is what it says, quoting, bishops are instructed to contact all the parishes and parochial schools asking for immediate prayers for the deceased former pontiff. The custom of praying the Our Father, Hail Mary, and Glory Be to the Father is to be encouraged, says the document, especially with school children, as is the recitation of the rosary for the repose of his soul. Churches may display a portrait of the late Holy Father with black bunting, and church bells may be tolled. And both the diocesan bishop and priests in every parish might consider offering a special mass for the deceased Pope Emeritus. And it goes on. It's fantastic. It talks about the custom of nine days Following the funeral of the Pope are observed as official days of mourning. And one thing I have been encouraged by is to see the outpouring so many masses and prayers. There was a prayer after our traditional Latin Mass on Sunday that we all as a parish stayed and offered for the repose of his soul. And today in our diocese, I re- reside in the diocese of Youngstown, Ohio, and that's in the northeast part of the state, Bishop David Bonner celebrated a special Mass, and two of our sons were altar servers for that. What a blessing that was, and they served for the bishop at that Mass today. It was beautiful. In his homily, he talked about the efficacy of the prayers of the faithful, as well as the legacy of Pope Benedict XVI, of course, his outstanding theological mind, but also his beautiful heart. So in the days to come and around the world, this is what we see. This is the family we are a part of, the universal church coming together for this purpose, and certainly in Rome. And that is where my first guest resides. Brie Dale is a Catholic journalist. She is the Rome correspondent for the Daily Wire and joins us now to give us the latest on the passing of Pope Emeritus Benedict XVI. Good evening, Brie.
3: Morning, very early morning here in Rome. How are you, Brooke?
2: Yes, it is good. I know it's about 1 a.m. local time in Rome there. Is that right?
3: That's correct. That's correct.
2: And, and so thank you for staying up, but I also know on the heels of a trip as well, you just returned to the city after being in Assisi. I know I saw you ring in the new year there, but for a few days. And just in general, as you've traveled and you were there during the last few days here, what has it been like?
3: So in Assisi, it was, it was actually quite astonishing how many people were um, at the Requiem Mass for Pope Benedict that took place in um, St. Francis' Basilica, um, and it was led by the Archbishop of Assisi um, to celebrate really the life of Benedict. Um, he spoke on um, Pope Benedict uh, being really a stalwart defender of orthodoxy. Uh, he spoke about how he uh, was one who worked very hard, um, tirelessly, uh, in the congregation of the doctrine of the faith against uh relativism. And so it was it was just astonishing. The entire church was filled, um, which which uh kind of was on the heels of some concerns that I I had um watching what was happening in the Vatican um where uh I, I'm sure you saw and many of the listeners saw um, uh, reports that were differing coming out of the Vatican saying that, say, the Vatican rang um, the morning bells at St. Peter's. They rang the morning bells at, uh, in Assisi, for sure it, it happened. But at St. Peter's, it did not happen when Pope, um, Pope Emeritus Benedict died, uh, despite the reports from the BBC and elsewhere. So I wanted to really make that clear. There have been some very interesting changes um, being made, some precedents set. Uh, for I think uh, future emeritus uh, popes, if there are future uh, pope emeriti, mm.
2: and with regards to the morning bells, you said that they really can't be mistaken. They have a lower tone; it's very obvious. Yes,
3: it's it's okay. very um you know for whom the bell tolls. Uh, it's very somber. Um, Anybody who uh, goes online and and looks at the um, videos from when Pope John Paul II died, you will hear this very low-tone bell that is uh, rung in in a very measured way, and it's rung for a long time. And we do hear those bells rung not just for uh, a pope who has died. Um, During the funerals of cardinals, um, those bells are rung, and uh, there was one situation where Mountain, um, the the Catholic traveler, uh, who maybe many people have seen on TV recently because he's been in the square um, since the announcement that um, Pope Benedict was sick, he, um, he and I both had heard um, the morning bells being told, like, randomly. There was no uh, announcement. This was about six months ago. No announcement of any cardinal's uh, funerals taking place. So we hear the bell being told. And it's tolling for a while, and so it wasn't a mistake. So both of us ran to St. Peter's, thinking, "Oh my goodness, this 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 is this is unprecedented what has happened." Well, it seems like there was a mistake that it hadn't been um, announced as a cardinal who had retired had uh, was having a funeral that day. So we found that out. But that that does occur. That um, it also happens for the cardinals during their funerals. So. What is expected, even though I've not received any, um, update, I hopefully will today from the, um, from Matteo Bruni, the spokesman for the Vatican Press Corps. Um, but, uh, I'm hoping to hear the reasoning behind the Vatican's, um, you know, choice not to, to toll the bell for, uh, a Pope who has died, um, you know, on the time, at the time that he has died. Um, but it does seem to me that, there was a message that was put out. Um, and what that message is um, seems to be a bit of, uh, on the Vatican side, the need to to distinguish uh, Pope Benedict uh, from, you know, Pope Francis being the active pope.
2: And the emeritus. Okay. We will follow your feed just for for clarity on that when hopefully you are able to get an update from a source at the Vatican there, and you had mentioned the norms and and how things maybe be different. And I saw well, we know now that he is lying in state, and I've sources say up to sixty five thousand people or more expected to pay their respects to Pope Benedict XVI. The funeral is on. Thursday. And for the first time in modern history, a sitting pope will preside over his predecessor's funeral. And we've been told that it will be solemn but simple. Any insight on what that means exactly? What can we expect?
3: Right. So my editors at The Daily Wire actually contacted me today because um, it wasn't really reported out. So this will probably be um, a first for many listeners today. Um, But uh, Marie Jean-Pierre said at a press conference on the 1st that the president of the United States was asked by the Vatican not to attend. Now, there have been rumors circulating in the Vatican in the past week that heads of state um, were debating whether or not they were um, being able to come to the Vatican um, for the the funeral. But we've seen uh, many heads of state come, uh, heads of state from... Italy, Hungary, um, from all over already starting to pay their respects. So uh, it it just seems to be a a lot of um, kind of chaos, uh, as there are many firsts here. Uh, Like you said, uh, we haven't seen in church history that we know of a pope residing over the um, funeral of another pope. Um, We don't know whether or not that that was the case in the early church where that did, uh, did occur, but for, um, you know, 600 years, we didn't have a, a, a case of, uh, of a Pope Emeritus. So there, there doesn't have, there's no, uh, like, record of how to do things properly. Um, but what is interesting is that the Vatican, when they came out and they said this, they said, Pope Emeritus Benedict desired a, a simple funeral. And, of course, that's the Vatican um, speaking on behalf of, Pope Francis and Pope Emeritus Benedict, uh, Benedict XVI, but we can't go to Pope Emeritus Benedict XVI and say, you know, now, did you want a muted funeral? Um, we we don't have a copy of his will. We have his last testament, as I know uh, you would like to speak on, but, you know, all we can go off of is the statement from, um, you know, the, the press office here in the Vatican. That's all we can say. We can't really confirm anything other than that.
2: And just to clarify, so you said this was an official source at of the Vatican and you were told that President Biden was asked not to attend?
3: So no, Marie Jean-Pierre, the spokesman for the White House, said that the Vatican asked Pope uh, okay. uh, the Vatican asked President Biden not to attend. And so that they will be sending instead this secret, uh, the secretary, uh, the the ambassador to the Holy See. So okay, thank that, you. That's yeah. That's 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 news to me uh, that the Vatican would ask heads of state. Um, so I am intending to speak to Matteo um, Bruni on that as well. Was it, it the case that the Vatican asked heads of state not to come, or is that a an interpretation by the Vatican?
2: Okay, or so or we will rather, see the, that the,
3: the White House.
2: Right. Yes. Okay, you had just mentioned about the spiritual testament of Pope Emeritus Benedict XVI that was released today and the Vatican has a published transcript. It's so beautiful and I think it's only about six paragraphs. It's not a long document, but certainly rich with depth. And just to begin how it starts, I'll read a few sentences. It says, when at this late hour of my life, I look back on the decades I have wandered through I see, first of all, how much reason I have to give thanks. Above all, I thank God himself, the giver of all good gifts, who has given me life and guided me through all kinds of confusion, who has always picked me up when I began to slip, and who has always given me anew the light of his countenance. In retrospect, I see and understand that even the dark and arduous stretches of this path were for my salvation, and that he guided me well in those very stretches. He goes on to thank his parents who gave him life and to thank his siblings and the men and women that were always by his side and his compatriots. And you had a chance to read this document. What strikes you about it, Bree?
3: Well, I, I love the format first where, um, you know, it, it, it many of our Christians, brothers and sisters also understand that the, the, the proper format of prayer is praise and thanksgiving first and foremost. Praise and thanksgiving. and that's what he he gave in this. It's just when you read through a petition really is at the end. He, he asks for prayers, but outside of that it's all about praise and thanksgiving and it's a reflection, deep reflection. Um, I, I loved what he said about within his, his, um, you know, the path of darkness that he has gone through, that he can look back now and see where God was doing amazing work in his life. And during that time, I think many people can reflect on that and say, I hope the same that I can look back in my life and say, wow, during those times, God was really holding my hand. I, you know, I, I love how he reflected on um, his thanks of, of growing up at the foothills of in Bavaria of the mountains there. Uh, I love the fact that he um, asks forgiveness for those who he may have wronged. Um, and then my favorite part of this whole um, and it's it's just I definitely recommend people to go and just and read it because it really shows the heart of this gentle introverted man but very intellectual and very contemplative. Um, my favorite part on it though was where he calls people to stand firm in the faith. Uh, do not be confused. And then he says, you know, a lot of the science, whether it's social science or even physical science right now, has changed throughout his life. And they've always kind of kind of pointed to try to undermine the faith. He says, that's, that's not science, that's philosophy. That's like a philosophy of science. Science is the physical understanding of things that we can see, and they kind of over overarch a bit. And so he says, you know, the, the scriptures will always win out, the faith will always win out, and it always ends up being that the sciences will support the faith. So I found that just, I, I don't know, it was just something that I really love, especially in these times.
2: I want to conclude with that. I'm I'm picking up right where you were talking about that and he says for 60 years now I have accompanied the path of theology especially biblical studies. We know this man was a brilliant intellect theologian scholar. He says I have seen seemingly unshakable theses collapse with the unchanging with the changing generations which turned out to be mere hypothesis. The liberal generation, the existentialist generation, the marxist generation. I have seen and see how the tangle of hypotheses, the reasonableness of faith, has emerged and is emerging anew. Jesus Christ is truly the way, the truth, and the life, and the Church, and all her shortcomings, is truly His body. And as you mentioned, just the very last line is where it goes to petition. Everything else is thanksgiving. Finally, I humbly ask, pray for me, so that the Lord may admit me to the eternal dwellings, despite all my sins and shortcomings, for all those entrusted to me, my heartfelt prayer goes out day after day. Brie, I know that we have to wrap up here, but one of the most profound stories to come out in the last several days was, was the announcement of his last words. And I know throughout different shows here on Relevant Radio, it's been talked about and just appreciated. And I And I understand that they were in German, of course, his native tongue. Can you just give us a little insight into that, how you heard, and I guess what you think it speaks of his legacy?
3: Well, um, from what I understand, early uh, within those first two hours, uh, a Spanish um, media outlet with a very um, credible journalist uh, spoke directly with his uh, former uh, secretary, Archbishop Gonsuin, and the archbishop said um, that his last words were, Jesus, I love you. And it's just, to me, you know, later on, we saw you know, some some contradictions instead of Jesus. Some of the mainstream media said that he says Lord. Um, I tend to think that it probably was Jesus. Um, but in any case, what beautiful sentiments for the last the, the last words on earth to say um, is Jesus, I love you. To me, you know, I, I don't believe in canonizing um, people very shortly after their death, I believe that it's so important to pray for the dead and especially uh, for um, for Pope Emeritus Benedict. You know, there's a lot of suffering that has taken place in the Church um, that he actually had to take on uh, when he became Pope. Um, the sex abuse crises and all of the, the scandals that started to come out. And remember, if you recall, when he became Pope, he, he asked, for prayers, so that he would not flee the wolves as shepherd, and and so I know many people have mixed feelings about you know his his resign, resigning the the papacy, but I think in this case um, just for the fact that he he you know said Jesus I love you at the end I think it's it's a gift that I think we should you know just kind of contemplate and and pray for him. Uh, And hope that if he is in purgatory, that his time in purgatory is very short. Uh, And if he is in heaven, that he prays for us.
2: Amen. And just those simple words, the magnum opus of a brilliant man, certainly. And we're just grateful. Your your conscientious reporting is always appreciated, and I know you will continue to have the latest coverage in the days to come. And we definitely want to glue into your feed. Can you tell us how we can follow you?
3: So definitely on Twitter, um, at The Daily Wire, I'm very proud to be working alongside Ben Shapiro, uh, Jordan Peterson, and uh, and others. And so at The Daily Wire, I will be reporting quite a bit this week. Um, Emerald Robinson will have me on her show as well. So uh, hopefully you'll be able to see me on social media. Um, Twitter is where to follow me the most, or Facebook.
2: So grateful for your work. Bree Dale joining us again from Rome. God bless you. Thank you so much, Bree. Good night. <laughs>
3: Good night, Brooke.
2: Thank you. <laughs> You're welcome. Thank you again to Bree Dale. And by the way, I think Jim right now is checking to see if we have it posted on Relevant Radio. When we were talking about the Spiritual Testament of Pope Emeritus Benedict XVI, it is something worth reading. We're sharing. After I saw it this morning, I printed it off for my 11-year-old son just to sit with and read. He's not yet going back to school, that's tomorrow, but everyone else is back at school. So he was able to just sit, and even at his age, he was able to really comprehend what this text was. And so for all of us, I think it would be efficacious. It's the Spiritual Testament of Pope Emeritus Benedict Sixteenth, and it was written in 2016. It was about a year and four months after he was elected to the papacy. So we will post that and I'm looking here, Um, Twitter at Timory. If you go to Twitter, Patrick, thank you so much, and Jim, they will make sure that that is posted for you as well. My name is Brooke Taylor, in for Timory on maternity leave. After the break, Dr. Kevin Vos joins us. His latest book is You Are That Temple. He has a unique understanding of getting healthy from the perspective of faith and neuroscience. So if one of your goals for the new year is improving or just maintaining your health, You don't want to miss what he has to say. You are listening to Trending. Stay with us.
0: You're listening to Trending with Timree, where you can discuss what
1: matters most to you. Join the conversation, 888-914-9149.
0: Alright, we're gonna get some protein, vitamins, iron, all the good stuff. I get this good stuff all the time. We're gonna get the vitamins here, we're gonna get the raisins. Alright, get the raisin and nut. That's good. That's good. Yo, no, T, there's a lot of all good right. stuff in here, man. This is your place, huh? That's right, that's right. You get the raisins. Raisins and nuts is good, man. It makes you hungry, you know, makes you mean. You know, I heard these raisins will help all that hot protein and everything. That's right. It's, burn an, iron. Quick, it's man. an iron, definitely. this to work out, we gotta get good stuff. Come on. Uh-huh. Come on, we're gonna get some good stuff. Uh-huh. Make sure we uh-huh. get Dude. the good stuff. You don't get good stuff, we put it back.
1: Oh my,
2: does that voice bring back, both voices, do, do those voices bring back memories? Producer Jim, I, you know, I apologize because I probably should have set that clip up ahead of time, but maybe you recognize it without me even telling you whose voices those are. It is Mr. T, circa maybe 1990, could be earlier, grocery shopping for healthy food with his buddy, Hulk Hogan. That was an era, remember? remember that whole era. My name is Brooke Taylor in for Timmery. Welcome back to the program. And that is our lead-in to my next guest, who, not to put an age on him, but has probably been pumping iron for as long as Mr. T, but but also working on the discipline of asceticism, of the spirit and the mind. He is Dr. Kevin Boast, the author of 20 books, including Memorize the Faith and How to Think Like Aquinas. He has taught psychology at Aquinas College in Nashville, is a member of the research Review Committee for American Mensa and joins us now on the program. Welcome to the show, Dr. Vost.
1: Thanks for having me on, Brooke. And I love that clip. Yes, that brings back fond memories of, of Mr. T and Hulk as they're going to that grocery store trying to find the foods that are going to make them even bigger and meaner than they already were. <laughs>
2: yep that's right they were looking for the protein they needed the shakes and um just brought back a lot of memories and i know you remember those days because when did you start was it in the 1970s where you first got into bodybuilding
1: uh yeah i remember actually i got my first barbell set just in second grade that was back in 1968 by by 73 i was working out regularly and my first uh, olympic weightlifting contest was in november of 1976 so it's been a long time
2: and in the plethora of books that you've written on on neuroscience and in the faith and in aquinas and memorizing the faith also is fitness i know this is your third one and i and i want to get to your latest one also This article that I sent you and I want to go over it together that was just published on New Year's Day. It's from the Daily Mail, but they are predictions of the biggest health and fitness trends they expect will emerge in 2023. And I felt like you would be the perfect person to vet this with. So we want to get to that. But for now, your latest book, it's called You Are That Temple. A Catholic Guide to Health and Holiness. Back in August, you you joined me. We talked about it here on Relevant Radio. But this is a brand new calendar year. And studies show a whole lot of people make a recommitment to health this time of year. I was even just thinking, too, so much of the conversation today has been about DeMar Hamlin and, you know, the, the NFL player who collapsed yesterday. And those moments, I think, just collectively shake us when we see here is a guy who's young. He is in what seems to be, externally anyway, the height of athletic condition. And in a moment, we're reminded of the fragility of our health and the gift of every breath. And so we want to honor God with our life, with our years, and the physical body that He's given us. And as I mentioned, this is your third book on health and fitness. You've dedicated so many years to helping people in this regard. So I wanna guess start there. Why do you think the aspect of health and nutrition continues to be such a struggle for so many?
1: Yeah, you know, and I think there's there's a lot of reason and it sure is, and I will say with even the New Year's resolution type thing, in the last couple of years, I have really reined in my diet. But but even this year, there's a few imperfections. I'm I'm striving to improve myself because yes, we have the sad example of, you know, even young professional athletes, we never know when we could have a significant health problem. Uh, there could be genetics, all kinds of possible factors, but it is a good thing to try to make ourselves as healthy, uh, as possible. And for most of us, we can, we can make a real difference in how, uh, we feel and how healthy we are. But why is it such a struggle? Well, I think one thing, you know, in our modern time, if I focus first just on, on nutrition, you know, of course, we're busy people. There's so many tempta- temptations. There's so many foods in those supermarkets and all those, restaurants that we drive by that are convenient. They don't take much time, they're appetizing. you know. So we're always tempted to go for something that's easier, more convenient than maybe something that we know would be healthier for us to eat. And even in that regard, if we, if we really do try to, okay, this year I'm gonna buckle down, I'm gonna eat right. Well, then we're kind of faced with the fact that we're often given conflicting advice by what does it really mean to eat right. So, so I think that's a big part of it. We're rushed, uh, it's easier to have eat some foods sometimes that aren't as healthy for us, and we may be confused about what we really should be eating.
2: I want to go over some of the numbers. The average American adult, this is according uh, from You Are That Temple, the data says the average adult today in America weighs about 25 pounds more than the average American did 40 years ago according to the CDC, over 73% of American adults are carrying too much weight, 73%. And of course, the comorbidities that come with that can be devastating. And I think a lot of people have the desire, but like you said, it could just be time, priorities, busyness, maybe feeling they don't have the luxury or the resources perhaps to spend hours in the gym or eat an organic diet. And so I think for me, having myself personally, made an enormous change, the biggest change I've made in my life as an adult in the last year. I looked at the model of St. Therese of Lisieux and in the little way, and it's the small daily steps that we take. And for those who are advanced in the spiritual life, you're already there. So you know it's the same premise where just as you are consistent in prayer, penance, and in devotions, and maybe you plan— The day before, you plan, you know when you're going to pray, and you know what's a good time for you to pray. So are these small steps of taking one meal at a time. You know, for us and our family, I'm a caregiver. We have five children, and I have to prep. I have to prep my meals. And so we might just grill our protein on the weekends, and then it makes it easier during the week. They're not super fancy comfort food casseroles every night, but it's been a great help. And it's one thing at a time, one workout at a time building that foundation. And I think the beauty about that is that it's never too late. And so for you, I know, as you mentioned, 1968 was when you got your first barbell set. What have you observed about this stage of your life? I guess, do you have any words of encouragement for the older demographic who might feel like, I don't even know where to start? And is it too late?
1: Oh, absolutely. It absolutely is not not too late. I even write in the book how some of these people who start really taking care of themselves later in life, especially in terms of exercise, may have some advantages. They may not have accrued some injuries that some of us more athletic folks may have acquired as we were younger that are now hanging with us. But no, I mean, in terms of like building your bodily strength and endurance, uh, there are people training who start in their 70s and 80s. The muscles will still respond. You know, if we give them the right kind of training, give them the right kind of nutrition, and there, like going back to, little, to Therese of the little flower who I love dearly, she's got the idea right there. Those small, little, simple things we can do can make a big difference. So in terms of nutrition, one simple way I think to look at it is to think, you know, to eat more real foods than the ultra-processed foods. But Because as we've had these epidemics in obesity and diabetes, we know that the intake of packaged ultra-processed foods has gone through the ceiling. We know now... For kids and teens in the U.S., it's over two-thirds of what they eat in a day, 2 67% of their calories on average come from these processed foods. And we'd be a lot healthier if we went back to foods that we might think, well, what, could, what did my great-grandparents eat? You know, what kind of foods were available then? And chances are it's what you find in the outside aisles of the grocery store, meat, vegetables, uh, dairy, fruits, and so on. So one simple thing we could do is just simply try to eat more real food. You know, it may not be... Organic, it may not be gourmet, but that's a simple step. Eat more real food and less of the stuff that comes in the packages. And even in terms of exercise, all right, in terms of strength training, a person can do a strength training workout, which might be you know, barbells or dumbbells or machines or even just their own body weight exercises. In as little as one session a week, less than a half an hour, once a week can make a significant difference at any point in the lifespan. And in terms of like aerobic or endurance exercise, it can be something as simple as, you know, walking your dog, mowing your lawn, you know, vacuuming your house. Those little things can be done almost every day, and they too can can make a big difference.
2: Dr. Kevin Vost is joining us. His latest book is You Are That Temple. And if you have a question, the number is one 914 9149 to join us. I do want to ask a question that just came in regarding strength training. I'm curious about the most balanced approach for a sixth grader who really wants to start hitting the weights. Any thoughts on that, Kevin?
1: Yes. Well, I'd say, you know, as long as the, the, the sixth grader is healthy and has doctor approval, Yes, yes, weight training can start at that age. The the general advice is, you know, make sure they're knowing how to do it properly. Focus on uh, just a handful of basic exercises, some kind of a push, which would be some kind of a bench press or overhead press, some kind of a leg exercise, like a squat, some kind of a pull, like a row or a chin up. So just a handful of these basic body movements can do a world of good. But I would say for a person in sixth grade, again, we want to make sure they're doing them in proper form and safely and we're going to want to make sure they're not going out there and trying to see how much they can lift, you know, to to best their buddies. They want to make sure they're using a weight that they can control for a fair number of repetitions, five to 12 or so. But as long as it's done in a supervised way and not too frequently, you know, just just a a few times a week is plenty. I think uh, it it can be a very excellent way uh, to, to train. And I will say I can throw out another book recommendation too, specifically for young kids if, so one might want to be interested. It's called uh, Strong Kids Healthy Kids by Frederick Hahn. H A H guess same last name as our friend Scott Hahn.
2: Strong Kids, Healthy Kids. Okay, that's really good. And would you say more reps, more
1: reps, less weight? Uh, yes, that's right. That's right. You don't want to be doing okay. maximums or anything. You know, the 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 repetitions could be five to as many as twelve or even fifteen or twenty per set. You know, and also in done in proper form because kids so often want to, you know, try to show each other up and it might get floppy. So I would say for a sixth grader, or two, ideally you want it to be supervised, you know, at least at first to make sure they know what they're doing. And for certain exercises, like if they're doing a bench press or a squat, I advise the person never do those without uh, safety supports or at least people to spot them in case they would lose control uh, of the weight if they're using barbells.
2: That's right. That's so good. And there's so much to what you were saying, whether it's the the nutrition to, in all different ages, I know there perhaps are different um, guidelines, of course, for strength training. I want to go back to what you touched on about eating real food. In your book, I'm quoting, you say, think about it, dear reader, what percentage of the foods you eat in a day are real foods, animals or plants that exist in nature without a nutritional label attached versus manufactured, ultra-processed foods. And from a psychologist standpoint, you take us into the principle of intermittent reinforcement. You see the food industry, just like the tech industry, has mastered the science of hacking our minds when it comes to addiction. So you talk about something like mouthfeel, and that's the feeling in these Franken foods that they've been able to develop of a sensory experience attached to our cravings by design. And so that therefore makes us eat more than we should. And of course, it's it's junk food. It's not really fueling our body to the degree that's going to strengthen
1: our systems that we need. Yeah, and I find that it's so true because you know, Brooke, like I, I've trained all these years very intensely, but even myself up to two years ago, my waistline was, was far too big. My blood pressure was too high. My body weight was too high because it said you can't out-exercise a bad diet. And when I started reining these things in, starting eating more of the natural foods, I found those addictions went away. For years, I thought, boy, how can I control my appetite? I'm always hungry. Well, now that I'm eating steak and eggs and whole fat uh, dairy and nuts and things, I'm no longer hungry all the time because I'm properly nourished. So I think many people, it should be an encouraging note, if you do move away from the processed food towards the real old-fashioned foods, chances are it will become much easier for you not to overeat because your body, it's, it's being fed and being satisfied.
2: And I'll say for me, you know, we when we last spoke, it was in August, and at that point… Uh, I I completely had a a life change and I'm still doing that. And there comes a point, at least for me, where I feel like I'm in middle age. And so you hear it's very difficult to change your body composition when you get to a certain point, although you just made a great argument for being able to do that as we get older in different ways. But we can all improve. And again, it's the small steps. And for me, that look like I have a lot of cottage cheese and blueberries and might have walnuts and even like that riced cauliflower you can mix that into like an egg white omelet and because it doesn't have a taste it can either be savory or sweet and even though here we are surrounded by information and people trying to sell us things or fad diets i still have learned so much in again just kind of going back to the basics and again when you parallel it to the spiritual life it's getting those foundational elements really solidly ingrained into our heart, whether that's sacred scripture, the sacraments, understanding the beauty of our devotions. And then from there, it it gets exciting. And but it's all just one step at a time. And I know we have just a few minutes before the break and there's so much to try to get in here with your book, You Are That Temple. But one of the things that I wanted to mention, why I think is so important is the distinction of your subtitle. And I just think it's what sets it apart from everything else out there on the shelves. And it is a Catholic guide to health and holiness. And the reason that's notable is because of the gross distortions that are so prevalent in our culture. If we are a temple, we are we are told we are a temple, we believe that, then we are a dwelling of the Holy Spirit. And to stop and really consider that is mind-blowing. We bear a great responsibility with that call to be virtuous. And, and what's being modeled in the world is a very confusing spectrum of extremes. We either see a body positive narrate narrative that elevates un- unhealthy weight and denies the reality that, that, that this might not be healthy to the pursuit of physical perfection that's on the other end of the extreme that might include augmenting or implanting things or, you know, anabolic steroids. And So I think that virtue, you talk about Aristotle and moderation and the importance of that practice, and that's why the moral virtues are so important. You say, uh, Temple Tenet number three in your book, to build healthy, holy temples, we need to train ourselves in the moral virtues to be able to do what is good for us, the intellectual virtues to know what is truly good, and the theological virtues to know and do what we do for the love and the glory of God. So not vainglory, not vanity, but for the glory of God. Uh, We have two minutes before the break. Can you maybe touch on the importance of those virtues with our health?
1: Oh, yes, exactly. And just, you know, like the famous four four cardinal virtues, talk fortitude, you know, the ability to do difficult things or endure difficulties. Well, it almost applies directly Overcoming difficult obstacles applies to strength training. Enduring discomfort can apply to endurance training and cardiovascular training, so we can call forth that virtue to properly care for our bodies. Temperance or self control can be applied to how we feed ourselves, of course. Uh, Prudence or practical wisdom can be involved in finding the right nutrition and, and exercise regimen that makes sense for you at this time of your life with the current commitments that you have. And finally, justice is giving each person their rightful due. And I try to cover, address that in You at the Temple by looking at the special needs of special groups, like women, children, uh, older adults, people with mental or, phys- or uh, physical disabilities. So things like that. And then, yeah, I also touch on the intellectual virtues of, of knowledge, understanding, and wisdom, because it helps to, to to actually learn about what is good for our bodies and to carefully sift through the information that we might re- you know, see in the newspaper or online articles. But then finally, the ultimate virtues are faith, hope, and, and love, and charity, and ideally, We're going to do all this to become what I call dynamos of charity. You know, we're going to try to build ourselves up so we can better love God and serve our neighbor through our bodies.
2: Mm. It's, it, it just, when you hear that truth, it clicks and it's like a little fire that ignites and it's beautiful. So thank you. I know we're up against a break. So much more to get to with Dr. Kevin Vost. His latest book is called You Are That Temple, A Catholic Guide to Health and Holiness. My name is Brooke Taylor in for Timmery. She is blessedly out on maternity leave with a new baby and prayers for her family are appreciated as her baby girl was born on december 8th joining mom dad and big sister had some low oxygen issues but seems to be doing good so keep those prayers coming and your prayers are so appreciated when we come back dr bost and i take a look at an article with experts weighing in on emerging health trends for 2023 is it good is it going too far that's coming up next here on
1: You're listening to Trending with Timory, where you can discuss what matters most to you. Join the
0: conversation, 888-914-9149.
2: Welcome back to Trending. My name is Brooke Taylor. In for Timmery, Dr. Kevin Vost is here. His new book is You Are That Temple, A Catholic Guide to Health and Holiness. Dr. Vost, of your twenty books, this I know is is your third book. I think in which you actually focus on the theme of health and fitness specifically, exclusively. And you have tending the temple. I know you also have fit for life. What prompted you to write this latest work? You are that temple.
1: Yeah, this one came after you know uh, training for you know more and more years. I think two thousand seven is when fit for eternal life came out. So I learned more. I learned some more about exercise. And I also learned all kinds of new things about nutrition that kind of turned some of my older views on their heads. And, and, and by changing these nutritional principles myself, they had such a drastic impact on my own body, dropped my blood pressure by over 20 points, dropped my waistline by six inches, uh, just felt so much better, completely ended acid reflux I used to have that I thought I really want to share this with people because if an old 60-year-old guy like me can make these changes and see all these differences. Maybe this, these kind of general ideas will, will help others, too. So one thing I did, too, when I wrote the book, I, I invited 23 other people to share their stories at the end, modern Catholic men and women that can also fill us in on things that, that they have learned that have helped them in their journey towards health and holiness.
2: That's right. I remember because Dr. Patrick Castle is in there, and he's the founder of Life Runners. You've got a, a great group of of, of Catholic uh, athletes, but also really across the board. Could you highlight a few?
1: Sure. Well, we talked about Therese. I know a recent author on Therese, uh, uh, Lorraine Bennett is in there, uh, Dr. Pat Castle, uh, Jared Zimmer of the Word on Fire, uh, Bishop Barron's Word on Fire. Uh, just a variety of folks. There's uh, two Catholic priests, there's a former Mr. Universe winner, and there's all kind of personal trainers, and just, just regular people. I think a few of the women in there, they They have uh, eight or nine children and and one of them has actually competed in bodybuilding. So it's just a very, very interesting uh, mix of men and women.
2: I want to get to this article and I see that the the clock is ticking here, but we also have Julie on the line and her question, I think, is one that's very popular. So I want to make sure that we get to Julie with this question (laughs) in Brentwood, California on the line. Are you there, Julie? I hope we have her still. Hi, Julie. Hi,
0: hey, thanks for taking my call. You're welcome. Um, you were I, wondering about
2: um, fasting?
0: Yeah, I was wondering about, um, there's a couple of trends out, you know, uh, keto and also intermittent fasting and, you know, just kind of wondering, you know, are they are they safe? Um, you know, I, I'm i just some, so curious about that. I don't know, you know, with a lot of the keto stuff, it's like, Eat all the bacon you want, and I'm not sure if that's really safe. <laughs> and um, and also, you know, the intermittent fasting, it, you know, it looks like it's it's good enough. But what if you're a diabetic? I mean, should you be following these trends? And that's what I was just really curious about.
1: Great question. Thanks, oh, well, Julie. Thank you. Oh well, thank you, Fa Fantastic question. For one thing, too, when you bring up diabetes, the the you have to be careful with keto because yeah, there's all kinds of different folks out there talking about it. But, but, what i 'm doing is a version of that i, I don 't measure ketones or anything, but it is definitely towards a lower carbohydrate into the spectrum. Myself, it was dropping mm-hmm. fifty or up to fifty or sixty grams a day at most. yeah, eating more fat, though not as much bacon as I want, more fat, uh, more protein, more, but all from whole foods and, and many people with diabetes and prediabetes have found tremendous results. I mean, some studies have been done where people who 've been on insulin for years can go off of it by a significant reduction in the sugars that we're constantly feeding ourselves. So I think there's a lot to the low-carbohydrate literature, but you have to be careful to get it from dependent, uh, uh, dependable sources. In the book, mm-hmm. I, I do address this. I have separate chapters on carbohydrate in, uh, and fat and protein, and I give a bunch of sources from different medical professionals who have different views on this. So I say, as long as it's done you know, in a rational way, uh, many people can profit, from reducing their carbohydrates. I think it's, it's a real effect. It's had a huge impact on me. And in terms of the intermittent fasting, uh, I had all my health gains before I really came across this a year or so ago. Uh, and I incorporated just what they call time-restricted eating. My own case, mm-hmm. I just stop eating by 5.30 p.m. I don't eat again until after my workout in the morning at about 7 a.m. And I don't snack between meals. So, so for that, again, like for a diabetic, as long as you're monitoring your blood sugar, most people will find that it's actually going to be uh, helpful because you're not going to have as many spikes, you know, up and down. So I do include a chapter in there uh, on fasting as well. So I'd say you want to be careful. You wanna, if you do this, you want to do it under your doctor's supervision. But many people will find benefit from a carbohydrate reduction and from some form. The form is proper for them. Uh, of a time restricted eating or, or or some kind of mild fasting.
0: Well, thank you so much for shedding some light on that because it just I've been trying to do some research and it just seems like everybody's saying something different and I'm confused. And um, you know, I do I have been um, I talked to my doctor and she was just like, you know, Julie, fruits and vegetables, eat more of them, mm-hmm. less of junk food, <laughs> and protein. <laughs> so I, I think a protein more too. Direction.
1: Yeah, that is is right, too. And for some of this keto, there's all kinds of ultra processed keto products on the shelves now. And that's not what I'm talking about. I'm with your doctor who's telling you basically to eat real foods.
2: Thanks, Julie, and I'll add it from a woman's perspective too. And again, everyone's different, so I think that's why it was so good, wise, Dr. Vos, just to say, you know, talk with talk with your doctor. Is that for me as a woman? What was happening is during intermittent fasting, it was um, affecting my my. I think it was my serotonin, but it was triggering a stress response, which then put all of my hormones out of whack, and it mm-hmm. wasn't good physically for me. And so now I actually eat six times a day, which was very weird and difficult to get used to after years of fasting but again it might be just a few grapes and nuts and blueberries and some beef jerky um and then you know three meals and but that's what i love about your book is you really do take us through the whole person and we know that's the beauty of our faith the dignity of the human person and the whole person and um saying you have to really go on a journey with it and again start small and sensible hydrate drink water as you mentioned maybe it's just adding a few more steps in each day and having real food not franken foods um i don't think we're going to have time to get to that article which is really a bummer because we were both a bit amused and (laughs) interested um but one of the things i'll just add with one that everyone's been talking about and that's the cold plunges and that's immersing yourself full body or not for a period of time in very cold ice water any thoughts on that kevin
1: yeah. I just say, you know, it's been around a long time. I remember when I was a teenager reading the bodybuilding magazines, they had the polar bear club that would go into the, the Atlantic ocean on new year's day, you know, out by New York, you know, so it's been around a long time. I would just say for some people, there is a caution. especially if you have a cardiac problem, a heart problem, yeah. if you know it or don't know it for some people there that can be a pretty traumatic stress. If you would take frigidly cold showers or jump into very cold water. So I'd say just be careful. You know, for some people, it might have benefit, but it's probably not necessary. Okay. And so much
2: more in your book and in general with all that you've done. You've, you've given our family such a wealth of, of library of great resources. Dr. Kevin Vost, this latest book that we're talking about today is called You Are That Temple, and it is available out everywhere now?
1: Uh, yes, I think so. It's from Sophia Institute Wait. Press, but it's going to be online and at Catholic bookstores and should be just about everywhere, hopefully.
2: Well, thank you for your contribution, not just now, but in the in the decades uh, leading up to today and the decades to come. God bless you. And thank you for your time, Dr. Vost.
1: Oh, thank you so much, Brooke. It's been my pleasure. God bless.
2: God bless you. My name is Brooke Taylor. The Rosary Across America with Father Rocky is next. Thank you to my guest, Catholic journalist Bree Dale, joining us from Rome to talk about Pope Benedict XVI's spiritual will, as well as what we might expect from Thursday's funeral. And of course, Dr. Kevin Vost, producer Jim Schraper, Patrick Alog. I'll be back with you on Friday. Joseph Pierce will be with me then here on Trending. And also Jason Craig. He is a Catholic convert and founder of St. Joseph's Farm. God bless you.